Welcome to Chuck Yeager's Air Combat. we grew up with a podcast that relies on nostalgia and a geeky sensibility each episode we'll talk about one of the video games that left an impression on us as kids put on some rose tinted glasses and reminisce about it then replay the game and see how it's held up over the years this episode we'll be flipping through the logbook and talking about chuck yeager's air combat for the pc i'm chris and i'm katie we've got clearance for takeoff so let's kick the tires and light the fires nice that's exciting <laughs> so it's episode 12 time you might be asking yourself but chris and katie didn't you say you were going to be doing soul caliber 2 you wouldn't be wrong you wouldn't be wrong we, we absolutely were planning on doing it we will still be doing it for the next episode but some current events popped up that we thought it was appropriate to move some games around if you want to explain chris yeah, so we had kind of talked about doing a flight sim at some point as one of our games because I enjoy flight sims a lot, and my educational background is in aeronautical engineering. So we kind of talked about doing this game, and then unfortunately we heard the news that Chuck Yeager had passed away at the age of 97, and I think I sent a text message to, to the rest of the crew, and I said... Uh, I won't lie, I kind of want to change around our schedule. This just kind of seemed to to fit. Yeah, this was something, I mean, as Chris said, we were always planning on covering a flight simulator game. This one in particular, because, you know, of its importance to us, or to Chris in particular, and how much mm. he loved playing it growing up. So we were always planning on covering this this game. We just moved it up on the timeline, and it just felt right to do it now. So we're doing it now. In addition to that, we are going to be getting an extra long episode for this one because there's a lot to talk about in this game, surprisingly, but especially because we have a special guest coming up later in the podcast, and we'll introduce that later on. But that also means that this is just a bit longer than normal episode. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I think our, our special guest is going to be a ton of fun to talk to. So buckle up, strap in, five points, arm the seat, let's go. So one other video gaming thing I wanted to add in before we start getting into the meat of the episode, and this game kind of brought it up. Chris and I have talked over and over again about the lost art of the manual and how games don't have manuals anymore and how disappointing that is. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to point up in current event status, which is shocking. <laughs> I just started playing Cyberpunk 2077 for the Xbox Series X. I bring it up. It came with a full manual that had no the history of the gate, like of the world. And it talked wow. about like, the history of the world. It talks about the regions. It has a map that unfolds. It is old school manual. And it made me so, so happy. That's that really cool. Brand new came with this old school manual of explaining the history of the game, explaining the history of the world. It came with a map of where you're going to be exploring. So I just kind of wanted to add that, that like I literally was like, oh, oh, this is so cool. And That's I was like amazing. reading it and was super excited. So was that was that like the the like normal version of the game? 
Yeah, no, we just wow. got the standard version of the game and it came yeah, with I was just saying, because sometimes you see that in like the special edition pre-order nonsense. Right, no, it was just the standard edition. So it was really cool. Props to... Uh, CD Projekt Red. CD yeah. Projekt Red for doing that and it made... That's really cool. It made me so happy. But enough about that. It's already going to be a long episode, so let's get into it. Let's go to the first segment of the podcast. It's time for video game trope of the day. Trope of the day! You win. <laughs> so, Chris, what's today's trope of the day? So, today's trope of the day is, unsurprisingly, Ace Pilot. We felt this was very appropriate for this one. So, uh, Katie, what can you tell us about the Ace Pilot trope? So this is, it kind of falls into the rule of cool idea that when you are either you're playing an ace pilot in a video game or movies and TV shows that they shoot out like 30 people out of the sky and they're just yeah. amazing and do everything. And it always like, because you're a pilot, you're also a great driver and you're also have like skills and everything you use and how not accurate any of that is. <laughs> yeah, like you see the thing where it's like, he shot down 300 enemies or something like that. And mm -hmm. and especially, uh, we'll, we'll pull it into kind of the game of this episode. Uh, so even in like World War II, which was like, you know, super big, chaotic air combat. Mm -hmm. How many victories being plane shot down do you think the average pilot got? What was your average combat victory number? So I think most people would assume a good pilot, not a great pilot, a good pilot has, sh like, in the these time periods, in these wartime periods, would have shot down at least five to ten other planes. Yeah. The average amount of aerial combat victories for a pilot in World War II was zero. I think it's a really cool stat you, put, you pulled in is 50% of combat victories came from 5% of pilots. Yeah. That's it was, bonkers. Those numbers were pretty much, you were good or you were dead. But... You, you never see that in fiction. Like, there's a reason why to be an ace is, is five enemies shot down. And just put it in a modern context, the last air-to-air -air victory the U.S. had was in 2017 when a Super Hornet shot down a Syrian fighter. And that's the first air-to-air -air victory that a Super Hornet had since it was introduced in 95 to kind of give you an idea of how far in between these things are. Before that, I'm pretty sure the last air-to-air -air victory, again, that the U.S. had was in, like, 99 in Kosovo or something like that. So this doesn't happen very often. Like, it's just not a thing that happens anymore. It was... Life is not an arcade game. Even even Chuck Yeager, you know, who we're going to talk about his game, had 11 and a half victories, and five of those came in one day. I appreciate the half. <laughs> yeah. No, but I think that's the point. Like, in video games, it, it, it definitely falls into the rule of cool. Yeah. And they, of course, want to make the game more interesting. Oh, yeah. But, like, it's such a video game concept that, like, one pilot can just take out a whole squadron by himself. And that's just yeah. not realistic. It's not how the real world works. But it, it's not even video games. Movies, you know. Look at all the, like, any space combat movies fall into this. Um, Star Wars, of course, we're always going to talk mm -hmm. about Star Wars. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, that Luke comes in having never done anything and suddenly is an ace pilot that can shoot down everyone. Like, it's crazy. Which is funny, because if you think about it in at least the original trilogy, 
which Lucas tried to kind of model after old World War II combat videos and stuff like that. Luke, what, only had maybe one shot down? True, true. Like, over the whole thing? But even, like, the idea that, like, in the newest series that Rey, who's never actually flown a spaceship, Mm. suddenly could fly a spaceship perfectly and is amazing Mm. and everything like that. These are just not realistic skills. So, yeah. That is very appropriate, and interestingly enough, as much as we try to relate our video game trope of the day to the game we're playing, this game doesn't really fall into this category necessarily, not in as much a way as other games do. It doesn't. It kind of subverts it and for the sake of actual realism, which I, I really appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. In this game, you aren't expected to shoot down every enemy combatant you encounter. It's just, it's not the victory scenario for this game, and that's actually kind of cool. Yeah. That's a great look at, I think, today's video game trope of the day. Trope of the day! Okay. So now that we have our trope of the day done, time to talk about this episode's game, Chuck Yeager's Air Combat. So Chuck Yeager's Air Combat was released in 1991 by Electronic Arts. Oh, gosh. And again, again, before Electronic Arts was the evil empire. And I had totally forgotten that because you bring the game up and it's got that, you know, old school electronic arts with the three, like the sphere, the cube and triangle. Yes. So that was that was kind of fun to see. But anyways, made by electronic arts, uh, it was released for MS-DOS. So this kind of, you know, shows you. Wasn't even a Windows game. Yeah, you had to literally leave Windows to get this game going. They released it on Mac a little bit later, so that that version actually had improved graphics, though that's a kind of a low bar to set. (laughs) Now, I mean, I'm sure back then it looked amazing. Yeah. The critical response was pretty good. Computer Gaming World said the graphics and flight models were impressive to several Vietnam pilots that they actually had interviewed for this game. That's awesome. Yeah. They predicted it would become popular with both flight sim veterans and newcomers. So kind of very, very broad appeal based on the way that they set it up. They put out a poll to their readers after the game came out, and the poll gave it a four and a half out of five stars on average in 91. That's really impressive. Yeah. So later on, uh, different games came out like Hellcat Over the Pacific and one of producer Kyle's first games flight sims he talks about f-18 hornet yeah um computer gaming world described it as having better graphics but they actually said that chuck yeager was more realistic and a better flight sim in that kind of regard so i thought that was that was kind of interesting in uh 94 pc gamer us magazine named it the ninth best computer game ever they said it wasn't the best graphics but it was an amazing simulation Four years later, PC Gamer named it the 23rd best computer game ever. So this is seven years after it came out, and it was listed in the top 25 all-time computer games. Yeah, and it, and it really does stand out, I think, as I said, because not only for the gaming aspects, but because as a pure flight simulator, a lot of people really appreciated that. And they, they not only, as Chris mentioned, went to Vietnam you know, Vets to see how they felt about it. But, you know, Chuck Yeager himself was a technical consultant on this and a couple other EA simulators that they did. 
And so he contributed a lot of his knowledge to this. And that's why uh, the game will have his stories and some of his like kind of experiences flying uh, are mm-hmm. incorporated in part of the game and actually influenced how the game was developed. It's a game that a lot of people found as their first flight simulator. This is the game that taught them about flying. And if you're interested, it is out on DOSBox. There's ways of getting a hold of it and playing it. So we're going to keep this simple. It's a very simple game, but that's not a bad thing necessarily. So we're going to play that Chi Ocarina of Time, head back to the past to look at our Rose Tinted segment before we had a chance to play it again. There will be lots of fun airplane terms and technical terms throughout the next couple of sections, but I'm pretty sure we explained them all. If not, please message host Chris online. He will explain (laughs) all of them to you happily. Uh, Otherwise, play that Chi Ocarina of Time. I'm doing something in the camera that doesn't translate well to a podcast <laughs> yes. because before a pilot takes off on an aircraft carrier on the catapult, he salutes of the deck he does. and then you take off. That does not translate well. So we'll just say zoom, zoom. So just like always, that music means we are back in the past, back to uh, before we got a chance to play the game. So it's time for our rose-tinted glasses segment. We are basically pivoting very, very last minute, as we've kind of explained earlier in the episode. We are choosing to do Chuck Yeager's Air Combat right now, uh, just because Chuck Yeager did just pass away just yesterday, uh, now that we're recording. So it was really like we just made this decision today because this was always going to be a game we were going to cover. And so it's it makes sense to do it now. So this is definitely something that was much more up Chris's uh, avenue. This was something he cared about very much. So I think the the, the kind of one interesting thing we're going to do with this particular rose-tinted segment is we're going to talk not only about the game, but a little bit about Chuck Yeager himself, just any memories Chris has of around that and his feelings on the subject. So it's a little bit broader than we normally cover in this section. Yeah, there's a reason that I'm wearing a flight suit and old school flying helmet and goggles as as my small little tribute to Chuck Yeager right now. Um, but but definitely Chuck Yeager's Air Combat was the first flight sim that I played that was actually like not a, a space sim because we had played X-Wing before, but that was, you know, space sim. You go you go left on the joystick and you just kind of slew to the left. This was the first time and I literally remember playing this where you would go left on the joystick and you just roll like a real airplane. And so I literally had to figure out how to fly an airplane through this game because it was way more realistic than anything else we had played up until that point. So that's kind of funny because you did it basically in the opposite order most people did that they played real flight sims and then probably like the Star Wars flight sims. Yeah, I guess it was just kind of how it worked out with with the games that we got. Like, we got X-Wing first, and then this came on. Yeah, it was so weird being like, why? Wait, this is how I normally turn. But I figured it out, I guess, as a... Gosh, I don't know, how old was I? Probably... We, we could trace it, I guess, because I remember, and this is kind of as a tangent, I remember listening to the Goofy Movie soundtrack... <laughs> 
as I was playing this game. Perfect. Like the Tevin, the Tevin Campbell songs, just those two, like eye to eye and stand out. I would just throw the CD in the computer and listen to them as I was playing I this we game. Had this CD. Yeah. Because it just seemed, it just sounded so appropriate at the time. 95. So I was 10. So I essentially taught myself how to fly an airplane, the basics, as a 10-year-old. I, I think it's really interesting because I, I, as I said, this was definitely your more, more your thing and more so that I don't think I ever played this game, played it. I remember mm-hmm. very specifically uh, the way our parents, because the only computer in our house at the time was set up in our parents' bedroom in their little like office nook area that they have. And Chris would sit at the main chair to play the game and I would take the second office chair and I would sit like catty corner behind him to like watch over his shoulder essentially as he played uh, these games but in particular the the flight sims i i were the ones i would watch and never actively mm-hmm. play so i have a lot of memories of this game purely watching i don't think i even ever touched the controls but i do remember watching over your shoulder and thinking it looked really cool and not understanding what was happening in any way shape or form you were you were my rio yes that's absolutely. that's the backseater in a tomcat absolutely and I guess a phantom. So I won't lie, literally before we started recording this, I was watching Top Gun clips. Like, <laughs> but that, And that's something else, I again, kind of feeds into our childhood. We've already, this basically, this particular episode will cover part of two of our major loves, which was Star Wars, hence mm-hmm. TIE Fighter and, and X-Wing. Yeah. And... And watching Top Gun. Those were the movies that were on repeat in our household as kids. Chris and I would put the VHSs in of either Star Wars or Top Gun, and we would only watch the dogfights. And and then I would play this game. Because it's just... I remember this was the first time that I ran into uh, an aircraft stalling. Huh. I had no idea what that meant at the time. I remember uh, you would get yourself into a stall, which for anyone that doesn't know what that means, it's when... You essentially run out of lift over the wings of an airplane. And it would just make... The game would make this awful, awful noise. It was kind of like a... And it's like, what is that? Yeah. Yeah, so it had that awful stall noise, which I assume was supposed to be the buffeting noise that you hear in an aircraft when when that sort of stuff happens. And it's funny because, again, like I said, uh, two of our, our biggest passions as kids, for movies at least, were Top Gun and Star Wars. This is something Chris has been in love with since he was a kid, is airplanes, and now it's his industry where he is an aerospace engineer and works with these kind of simulators for his job. <laughs> and, th- and that's kind of the amazingly cool thing is this was basically the start of your career and you didn't know it. Uh, apparently, yeah. it's It was definitely something. Like, it was a... Who knew where I would be now? At based ten years on this old, game did you that know I played that you at would, ten? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I have very good flashes of this game, like bits and pieces. But I think that's really important, and we don't always talk about that in our rose tinted glasses section. But our, and, and we it comes up in our rose scores of our perception really changes how we address yeah. the game. And I think if you, for whatever reason, hated this game. Who knows if you would have gone down a different path in life because it just that planes might have stopped appealing to you for all you know, and it, it and that's kind of the fascinating thing of of the influence these kind of early childhood memories can have on us. Because it's not, I mean, it's not untrue. Like I always knew that I loved airplanes. I remember when I was in third grade, you had to do like a 
it wasn't like a career day, but it's like, what do you want to be when you grow up and do some research or something like that? And like one of my classmates had like a an aunt that was an airline pilot. And so, like, somehow I networked that as a second or third grader into getting a whole bunch of pictures. That's of, awesome. I don't remember that I, at yeah, all. I, I, it's, it's something that I totally forget about until I, I, I remember, which is a really dumb thing to say. But, like... Yeah, no, I, I get you, you. Until something triggers the memory, of course. Yeah. I mean, I always wanted to fly, but then I got glasses when I was in, like, fifth grade, so... Like third grade, you got glasses super young. I got glasses super early, so it's like, well, I can't fly. Well, I can't fly for the the military, which is what I, what I wanted to do. So, I decided to, you know, design airplanes or you know go the other side instead. On the opposite side, all the careers I ever wanted to do when I was growing up involved talking, and so here I am talking. So there we go. <laughs> The impact of video games on our lives are very apparent because we've, we're doing this podcast. We love playing them. We, we stream right. them. We, we, we have so many of our childhood memories are around these games. But I think there is a greater impact as well. And this is one of the games that maybe inadvertently had a greater impact, which is kind of really freaking cool. I think it's it the other is. reason, as much as I definitely looked up to you as a kid because you were my big brother and I wanted to do everything you did, oh. I never wanted to fly a plane, <laughs> ever. This is, and I just, it is not something that ever appealed to me as a child, which is why I never wanted to play this game. Because I was like, right. nah, I'll just watch you play. <laughs> I wanted to play this game all the time. No, like, this was like one of your favorite games. This is, this is the game that launched me into realistic flight sims it probably arguably launched me into just aviation history in general is you know even if uh, you know getting in airplanes as as a schooling and career didn't do that anyways but i love talking and reading about world war ii aviation and this is like there's a big segment of this where I was say, which this game is all about world yeah war II well aviation. it's, it's I, i'm pretty sure it's got it's got world war ii korea and vietnam which Chuck oh, Yeager... That spans Chuck a lot Yeager, longer than I, I would have thought. Well, so Yeager flew in World War II. I don't think he actually flew in Korea. I think he was busy doing the whole breaking the sound barrier thing <laughs> right oh, around that, that, that time. that real casual Yeah, just, just whatever is going on with that. And then I think by the time Vietnam came around, he, he was a squadron commander or something like that, so he might have flown some sorties, but... I don't know how much... What's a sortie? Uh, that's a, a mission. Okay. Call Sorry. it a mission. It's not a mission. It's a sortie. It's a mission. Fine. This, I think, goes back to the impact of him as a man on, you know, obviously on aviation as a whole, but in your life, because you are a aviation history nerd, that's why you know about him. Not just this yes. game. It's just he is a defining figure in aviation history. And he always has been. And it's, it's weird... It's weird to me because I was talking with producer Lisa earlier and she was like, I don't know who Chuck Yeager is, which is nothing against producer Lisa. She's surrounded by airplanes all the time. So I think she just shuts it out half the time. But I feel like I take it for granted just what his contribution was, because it's like this game and then you dive into all of his history. So it's, it's an interesting question of, you know, again, in video games, it's very often that we have someone attached to a video game, like a name attached to a video game franchise. And mm -hmm. so it's, I wonder how many people knew who Chuck Yeager was in a sense of who he actually was, why he was involved in air combat, or right. did they think it was something closer to Sid Meier's civilization or Tom Clancy, Tom Clancy's whatever, because he has a million games. 
Those are way later, granted. Those are way later, but I, I don't think that this was unusual to attach a name to a game back then. Right. I think I think if you were buying this game, you probably knew who Chuck Yeager was. Back then, to be fair, sure. But yeah. nowadays, I feel like people still know the name Chuck Yeager if they know Flight Sims. They might not yeah. always make the connection. Then again, Flight Sims are a community all of their own, so I might be completely wrong. It's a fairly niche community. <laughs> this game has made such a big impact on my life in outside of the video game itself, like in the meta context of how this game affected me. It has made a huge difference because it was the first time that I got a real flying airplane. You know, I, I essentially learned how to fly an airplane from this game. And then there's all like the tiny details like about the actual video game itself, which is it's it's tough to, to separate the two because there's things like I remember the three eras. I remember that awful stalling noise. <laughs> I remember it being fairly cinematic ish for the time like the graphics weren't great the sound wasn't great i remember there like there was like maybe a little window in window for your target so it was one of those it was a very you you could get like a uh you could get a third person view of the aircraft so it's like if you just wanted to fly around at the time it looked really really cool yeah, and I'm sure as much fun as the missions were and everything, I, I'm pretty sure you also just spent a lot of time in, like, the free roam mode yeah. of just screwing around and flying just, around. Just, just messing around. I'm pretty sure I cheated a lot, too, because I'm pretty sure there was, like... Are there cheats? Yeah, there was, like, at least two, because there was, like, unlimited ammo, because they were trying to be realistic, and it's like, oh, you're in an F4. You only get, like six missiles oh yeah then you definitely had so i would just be like whatever unlimited missiles go <laughs> everywhere and like you know uh uh invincible so you could just kind of bounce off the ground so i could just enjoy flying that's fair yeah i remember the manual too i feel like the manual was huge slight spoilers for the game producer kyle was making sure we could have a copy of the game to play and I guess the check at the very beginning of the game to make sure that, like, you actually bought the game and didn't download it was a trivia question that the answer was in the manual. Yeah, no, I remember that. It was like that weird part of DRM in between. Obviously, you couldn't be online all the time and, like, dongles weren't a thing. So the DRM back then was, we're going to give you this huge manual and ask you a question and be like, go to this page and look up whatever this is. That's how they got around because it's like well or they had the cd keys back in a little later in generations well yeah i say that and i'm pretty sure we had a a illegitimate copy from our uncle and just had a xerox copy of the manual so i i remember i feel like it, there wasn't like an overarching plot or anything i'm pretty sure it was just like here's the three eras here's like six to ten missions per era and it was on both sides, too. So, like, World War II, I, I think it might only have been, like, one, maybe two aircraft per side. Like, World War II, you could fly the the Mustang, maybe the Thunderbolt for for the Allies. And then it was, like, the, the ME-109 and, and the Falk Wolf. But then i'm pretty sure and for korea you could either do the saber or the mig 15 because that's all anyone cares about <laughs> in air combat in that one and yeah and and vietnam i think you you only had the phantom and maybe the the 17 and the 21 mig 17 mig 21 for the Viet Cong. 
and and yeah, there were there were missions on both sides. There was a ton of aircraft. I'm pretty sure, uh, like you ran into different bombers. You ran into jet like the jet fighters in World War Two, like the first ones, the two six two, um, the Comet, the weird rocket fighter. I remember that. Like you could only play a handful, but you definitely saw a ton. Yeah, and it was mostly like. You know, intercept missions or fighter suite missions, which is, you know, pretty basic stuff. I don't think you had to, you might need to take off. I don't think you ever needed to land. I'm pretty sure the interior of the aircraft were fairly good for the time. Like, they had all the gauges, if you could be bothered to look at all of them. Okay. But, yeah, the gameplay, I, I feel like, was fairly straightforward. Like... Go up, shoot down other things, go back. I mean, there's it's air combat. There's it's not air combat. really much say, else to it. Standard. So I think that's a good a good place of wrapping things up. So again, this is going to be slightly different because I I don't have a rose tinted score, so I am going to skip the rose tinted score just because I don't think I ever played it. I will be forced to play it now. So this that's is going to be, be great. Oh God, it's going to be a hot mess. But uh, before that, Chris, what is your rose-tinted score for Chuck Yeager. I mean, rose-tinted is is 10 out of 10. Like, it's... I mean, I'll say 9.5 out of 10, maybe, no, but... 10. It's a 10 out of 10, 10. rose-tinted. Like, that's okay. I love the game. Yeah. It's okay. That's that's the point of this score. Like, Yeah. It is, it is what do you remember of it? I cannot remember ever being angry or frustrated with this game. I just remember absolute joy from playing this game goodness 20 years ago 25 years ago so we've got we've got un uncomplete for you which is going to be fun a 10 for me dude are you going to guess a score what is your predicted uh, score I don't... knowing nothing about this game other than some vignettes of watching over my shoulder i don't yeah so i and i'm and knowing my frustrations and how easily i mess things up and uh again Maybe the slight spoiler of how how small the game is in the grand scheme of things that it can be played mm. on a browser essentially nowadays. I'm still gonna say I'm gonna give it a, a, a six out of ten. I'm, I just yeah. just because I don't. Well, you don't play these type of games. It's it's really hard games. to judge. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could still try to judge it as a game. Right? I will try my best, but I'm gonna go for six yeah. out of ten because I have a feeling my frustration might win out at some point. If ten year old me, you could figure it out. I'm sure you'll be fine. Yeah, but you wanted to figure it out. <laughs> so what's your predicted score, Chris? I am... This is tough because I've played a bunch of Flight Sims. That has to come into consideration. Yeah. That's how this so works. So I've played some... I've I've played actual Flight Sims, and then I've played, like, the Ace Combat, which I really love, but those are more arcade flight games. Sure. And in my brain... I feel like the physics in this game were good. But again, the last time I played this, I had no idea what airplane physics were. So it's it's going to be super hard. Like, I'm going to say just based on things like the mission structure and it trying to be realistic, probably a seven and a half to an eight. And it's hard because I know we always try to compare it to modern games, but like graphics are really hard to compare. Like, yeah, and then to be fair, we've talked about the fact that sometimes nostalgia will win out. Yeah, well, and if the game is still a good game, like the the mechanics of it mm -hmm. are good, 
then I could still give it a high score. Like, I'm going to say an 8, but this is so hard because yeah. I literally have not gone back and played this game since I got a formal education on how all of that stuff should work. Fair so, enough. Fair enough. Um, okay, so... We're wrapping things up. Chris gave it a 10 out of 10 on his rose-tinted score, which is fair. Uh, predicted scores, I'm going for a 6. Chris is going for an 8. I think this is time to move back to the present and actually talk about the game itself and our uh, actual playthrough of it. So let's play that Chiacarina of Time. Ready, hit it. No one's going to get that reference. Kick the tires and light the fires. That is kind of more what I was going for. But instead, I went with a Blue Angels call that literally no one's going to know unless you listen to the Blue Angels talk. So the uh, Chiacarina of Time music means we're back in the present. A uh, little bit different. We're getting another episode, which is special guest. This is really exciting for us. We really love all this kind of stuff. So I would like to welcome Gaming at the Edge of the World, aka Brian, uh, to the podcast to talk and join us to talk about Chuck Yeager. To start with, though, let's let's talk a little bit about you and uh, what's your gaming background as well as how we got to know you. So I'm Brian, and I stream as Gaming at the Edge of the World. My gaming background was purely PC up until only about maybe 10 years ago. Growing up, we had a computer really early on, and we would play a handful of games on floppy disks, and, and, and Jaeger was one of the few that we actually did have. Floppy There's a lot disk. of... Sorry, <laughs> I just think of floppy disk and the fact that kids don't understand that the save symbol in today's is modern a floppy disk, is a disk. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry, yeah. sorry. <laughs> making me feel old. I remember that wonderful clunk of putting in a floppy disk and it setting down on the platter and starting mm -hmm. to spin up, you know, and it didn't, it didn't spin, it ground around in a circle, you know, just had that wonderful old tech feel. So yeah, PC gaming background, mouse and keyboard, games like Doom, Indy 500. Oh man, we had that one too. Yeah. And Jaeger, and it was probably the game that had the most impact on me because I love airplanes, and I've, I didn't realize that so much growing up, but I could play this game for hours. I found a, a helmet somewhere and made an oxygen mask for it by cutting the top off of a Coke bottle. I remember doing that. Nice. After watching movies like Top Gun, and then got into school and decided that, you know what, becoming a pilot is something that I can choose to do, and, and I decided to do that. And that led to now I'm a commercial airline pilot flying around the world and I've been able to get back to the games recently and start to look back at kind of the systems that were around the games that other people were playing that I was always envious of and uh, I've put together a gaming collection you'll see me playing uh, original NES and SNES games on my channel on Twitch TV gaming at the edge of the world and I try to do as much on original hardware as possible. Which is pretty cool. I, I love that it's all the original hardware. And just to context of, uh, I think you came into our stream one time when we were playing Final Fantasy 1, I, I believe it was, and, and was helping. That sounds right. There was a handful of people that were all playing Final Fantasy 1 around the same time. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to... I had never played it before. I'd never played a, 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 an old school JRPG before, but I just went Final Fantasy. That'll be a great game to start with. And I immediately, <laughs> I immediately hugged a wall so hard and had no idea where to go. 
But people were nice enough to come into my channel and, and help me out. So I started channel hopping a bit in a way to mine some secrets off of some people and also sure. to see if anybody else was having some trouble and help them out. So yeah. that was how we all ended up talking to each other was through Final Fantasy and it's kind of gone from there. And oddly enough, yeah, our two streams seem to have kind of been touching at different points. You yeah. did Super Mario RPG. I ended up following up yeah. with Super Mario RPG. And so it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. This is our other plug. Talk to people on Twitch. Like it's fun. You meet some great people. We really appreciate yeah. it when we're streaming because especially Chris and I definitely are in the camp of we don't know what we're doing 90% of the time. So we always appreciate help. <laughs> See, you keep saying that, and I want to be offended by that. But you shouldn't be, because it's fact. Yeah, it depends on the game, I guess. <laughs> no, it depends on the game. Chuck Yeager, you didn't need help. That's fair. And we'll, we'll, get, <laughs> we'll get into that. But... <laughs> so with that background, A, we were kind of always hoping to pull you into one of these podcast episodes as soon as we start talking to you online and knowing your, your knowledge, and, and it fit right into what we're talking about, the retro gaming and then the timing of this episode happened to work out, obviously, with your personal experience as well as the fact you had played this game before. So we wanted to pull you in to this episode. So I kind of want to start with a more general question of like, what are your thoughts on Chuck Yeager and the impact that had on you in your life? That's a really good question. and I'm glad you asked it. I'm going to start with the Miss America answer. <laughs> this was a really important game for me growing up because this was the first time that... I was exposed to something that was going to guide me for the rest of my life, you know, flying it. And, and I didn't know that at the time. At the time, it was just a lot of fun. And going back through rose colored glasses, I, I remember a lot of hours spent in it. I remember it was definitely the game that I spent the most amount of time with it. It just grabbed me. I don't know. There's something about flying that just naturally holds on to people. And when you're flying, you're inside the cockpit. The detail is absolutely there. The outside of these these aircraft are very plain, you know. It just <laughs> just just the, the graphics on this game do not hold up. But the magic behind Chuck Yeager and, and what I remember is like it's it's very realistic. The physics are really good in it, actually. You know, yeah. the stalls happen really well. Even the one that a lot of people don't get are the weapons physics to it. The fact that the launch envelope on two different missiles are very different. A head-on shot. Mm -hmm. If you are going head-to-head -head with a MiG-21, a Sparrow is going to give you a lock-on of, say, 80%, and a Sidewinder is going to be about a 10. Right. Because it doesn't have a heat source to go after. When you're looking at a heat-seeking missile versus a radar missile, you know? And so, yeah, so the detail is, is definitely there. The physics are there. And, and the feeling of it's good. And going ahead into starting to fly and things like that, because I was given a more realistic simulator, I think a little bit earlier on, sitting in a ground school, having explained to me, okay, well, this is what a stall is. Ah, yes, I remember stalling <laughs> thousands of times in my childhood, you know? That's great. Oh, the flaps, the flaps on the wings to give you extra lift for takeoff and landing. Ah, yes, I remember those because <laughs> they were always stuck on in, in unusual ways and were, you know, causing me to only be able to pull two Gs and go up to about 200 miles an hour and things like that. So I think it was good that it gave that really good technical background. And like we said, I mean... Of all the games to receive a, a graphical update and a re-release, this is one of them that that mm -hmm. I would I would buy in an instant. So it was it was really important to me to be exposed to this game early on, and and looking back on it, it was yeah, it was probably my biggest time sink up into the age of between eight and ten. Mm -hmm. 
Sounds about right. Yeah. So we we talk about it. We talked about it in our rose tinted glasses segment. But I think a big part of it in our growing up was that this was a game Chris played all the time and I I really didn't play. I would watch him play a lot. I would sit mm-hmm. in the chair and watch the whole time. And I, I joke with him as much as uh, as the younger sibling, I looked up to what he did and often would copy what he did. Flying was never something I wanted to do. <laughs> and I think, and part of that really, and, and I joke, it kind of comes from this game of like, he always wanted to play this game and I was happy to just watch. And I love flying in planes. I'm not someone who's scared of planes. I love the, the feel of it and it's great. I've never had a desire to fly a plane before, but I think, you know, that's been a really a kind of, I almost really early on dictated that Chris has always been loved planes, but always wanted to go beyond just, you know, games. Whereas I was just like, this is fine. We're good. Just watching. Katie, I'm definitely feeling your, your whole thing about sitting in the background and watching. Cause I was explaining to somebody earlier, you know, I was youngest sibling, yeah. you know, a lot of the, a lot of the games that I play now were around, I think I played Super Mario World twice of all the uh, in my entire childhood because there was three other people that had to be got through, and then all of a sudden it was time to leave. So, <laughs> as a sort of behind the scenes of the difference between the two hosts here and how they approach this game, last night host Katie was sitting there and saying, "You know, I really should play more Chuck Yeager before we record this episode." And I said, "Okay, why?" Well, I need to try out the different types of planes and things. And so I turned and said, you've flown like five different types of planes. Can you detect any difference between the five planes you've flown? And she paused and went, no. <laughs> I mean, you could have gotten into the Vietnam era stuff that is totally, completely different. The comment you also made about the physics being real, uh, realistic and all of that. I think it was really funny during my playthrough uh, while I was streaming it. Uh, it was the first mission you have to take off. And yeah. Chris was watching it on a delay while being on video chat with me. So he was talking to me live while watching the actual video of me playing like 10 seconds behind. And so I'm starting to take off and I just hear him. Now, don't try to pull up right away once you can, because you're going to stall. And as he's saying that, I'm stalling in the game. <laughs> yeah, because, it was because it was like, I was like, all right, throttle up. Tail's going to come up. Then Katie goes, what do I do now? And then producer Kyle just says, pull up. And I'm in the background going, wait, wait. I know you. You're going to try to pull up and immediately stall, but wait for your speed to come up. And, nope, and, I was like, as soon as and then you started that. laughing and I went, is that what just happened? And then it happened on the stream. I was like, yep, that's exactly what happened. Like as he called it was like, no, no, if you pull up right away, you're going to stall. And as he said that my plane's like stalling. I'm like, damn it. It was perfect timing yeah and that is what would happen if a real plane tried to do what i did so that's fair (laughs) you were talking about the different airplanes and i think when i was younger i didn't understand that all of these were going to handle a little bit differently and now that i go back to it oh yeah the the mustang seemed you know perfectly reasonable within its envelope back then but now i'm now i'm sitting there going oh my god this is so underpowered for what it's being asked to do (laughs) And uh, the F-4 Phantom is absolutely devastatingly fast, but I can't understand why I'm not catching up to the MiGs. (laughs) And then Mm. I remembered that when I was a kid, I would play as a MiG all the time because the maneuverability made it so much easier for me to just turn and shoot. So you have had a chance to replay it a bit, obviously, since childhood, um, very recently as well. We already kind of just talked about what lives up or not. One comment I know we had, and I think producer Lisa also had while she's playing, is the 
interior of the planes are a remarkably well detailed. Like having all the different uh, gauges. gauges. See, I don't even know what I'm talking about. There's all the buttons. No, <laughs> all the gauges and everything that actually moved as you were flying and like it tried to keep up with you. That was amazing. And then, yeah, you'd look at the outside graphics and it's just like blobs of green on the ground. But <laughs> I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on it? How much did you, like, through versus rose tinted glasses, how much did it feel playing it again? So as a kid, I think I even had a perception of the fact that the, the aircraft models weren't weren't anywhere near realistic. You were you were flying a paper airplane, fighting another paper right. airplane. Basically, is is how it looks. And I think they held up to that in the game. I think they admitted it because when you are selecting aircraft, there's the 2D, 3D selector, right? Where you can go from the side image of what it's supposed to be, look like, and then hit the 3D one, and then they show you whatever, yeah, the model. Can and you kind of sit there and go, ah, okay, so that's what I'm actually going for. <laughs> I'm not going after a camouflage F4. I'm going after a black brick yeah. that's you know shooting through the sky. So so the exterior graphics are are absolutely basic, but. When you're flying an aircraft and when you're looking at another aircraft in the distance, whether you're shooting at it or whether you're just trying to avoid it, all you really see are little dots. All you'll ever yeah. see of another aircraft are little dots. If you're close enough to pick up that level of detail of panel lines happening. and things like that, yeah. bad things are going to happen <laughs> unless you get a, uh, far enough away from it that you can't notice that anymore. So. I think that they were right to focus on the cockpits, focus on getting the detail on those, because mm -hmm. first off, graphically, for building the game, it's a lot easier to have a static image that, okay, if you press something to have the gear come down, there's a lever that changes and, you know, a light turns green. That's that's relatively easy. But for the long-distance long models, I don't think it actually detracts from it all that much. Definitely the terrain could have used more details, but... <laughs> For the time, I think the graphics were pretty good. I mean, as you approach the runway, it went from just being a black rectangle to all of a sudden having lines drawn on it, mm -hmm. which was which was excellent. And I mean, honestly, how much did the terrain matter, right? Like, for 99% of the stuff that's going to happen in this game, you're at, you know, five to 15,000 feet and not looking at the terrain. I don't know what you're talking about. I was often at like 100 feet over the ground because I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> While we aren't doing a pure rose-tinted score from you because you have played it somewhat recently, what do you think you would have rated it as a kid? I have a feeling I know where it's going, but if you could have given it a rose-tinted score, what would you have given it? I mean, I'll admit to you, actually, this has been a really good experience for me because it's a game that I've thought about over the years, actually, and I've thought to myself, oh my God, if I could get a copy of that... And, you know, everything I'd need to, to start playing it again, I absolutely would because it it was a game that I, I would go back to today. I mean, eight year old me would have probably said like, oh, it's a 15 on a scale of 10. Like, it's incredible. Done. It's the best. It's amazing. It's everything Done. I've ever wanted. You know, Chris gave it a 10. Chris gave <laughs> yeah, it a 10 yeah. out of 10. I gave it a 10 his, out of 10. I think 10. first 10 out of 10. So that's absolutely like appropriate. And I, I think that people that are younger than us that are playing these games won't remember that this is a game that's played through MS-DOS yeah. in a time when it was still acceptable to have a, a, a non-graphical game. You know, everything would be in text. Yeah. Or you're playing the original Duke Nukem and, and an original NES game or an Atari game that looks so blocky and old now was, you know, the height of the tech. So this game was was incredible at the time. The great thing is like even in the because we ended up playing this game through the DOS box 
uh, yeah. and, and doing it that way. And the fact that the command you put in is Jaeger.exe, you know, like you're just like, that's how you open games back then. And it's just so funny. Yeah. Like it was so straightforward. Like, nope, Jaeger.exe, yeah. done, let's go. <laughs> for, for us, it was, you had to exit Windows to DOS. You'd have your C yeah. prompt. You had to switch to the mm. A drive. You had to launch the floppy disk <laughs> yeah. and then yeah. you had to wait. Yeah, no, we did the same thing. We'd have to exit the like really basic windows we had to go play most of our games. They didn't run out of windows. They ran out of DOS. Yeah. And everything went black, and all of a sudden, those few chirps out of the computer had come through, and you knew it was starting. So, so I will I will take this moment to segue it into the actual playing it again now as adults. And I'm kind of curious, and this is not quite tech talk, but in that same idea, how did we all play it? So, for example, I we mapped an Xbox controller to play the game on the computer. Uh, how did you guys do it? I dug up an old joystick that is very, very basic. So it's just two-axis... Four buttons on the side, you know, trigger, three buttons on the top. So so what was your setup? Well, interestingly, I played on a uh, just on a keyboard because that's what I remembered the most. Mm -hmm. So I thought, OK, I'll, I'll go back and I'll, I'll play it the way that I did. And so I'm playing on my laptop and thank God I've got a number pad because I forgot that that's that's how you actually <laughs> uh, control it is through the number pad, not through the directional keys. So I was tapping the directional keys going, huh? <laughs> It wouldn't be the number pad, would it? And all of a sudden the nose started moving and I went, oh, okay, well, that's great. Yeah. I think we had a joystick as kids. Is that correct, Chris? We did. We had that, that red and black one. Yeah, I was going to say, with the big red buttons, I remember The two it. big buttons. So, yeah, that's that's why I spent so much time trying to get the joystick working because that was, I remember playing this game with a joystick and it's like, I can make it work with, with a mouse or a keyboard. Or even a, maybe map it to a controller, but it's like, I really want to play this game again with the joystick, because that's kind of what I I knew. Yeah. I think this game traumatized me trying to play it with a mouse, because, and again, it's one of those things looking back on, remember when mice had the ball inside? Oh, man. And it would get hung up all of a sudden and like jittery. Uh -huh. And I think <laughs> I tried playing this on a mouse as a kid and that happened and the plane just went into a straight nosedive all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> and after that, I was like, you know what? I just rather tap the keys on the nope. keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> that said, there was definitely a big difference watching the West Coast portion of the podcast versus the East Coast portion, myself included, because when Katie and I were playing, it was oh, there's a plane, let me just sort of wildly pull the stick until I'm kind of pointing at yeah. it and fire at it for a bit until it falls out of the sky and see what happens. And then we're watching Chris and he's like, all right, let me drop the throttle 12% here yeah. and now I'm going to go, okay, I'm going to turn inside of them so yeah. I can straight from just right. Okay, now I need to drop the flap so I can get a better turn, blah, blah, blah. Oh, and there it is and now I'll move on. Like we were looking at going, I don't know anything that just happened. We literally just went to 100% throttle, pulled the stick as hard as we could, and tried to shoot things until they fell to the ground. And, and it would be moments like Kyle would be like, you do know there's a 0% chance that you're going to hit anything because the game would tell you how what your percentage hit. I'm like, I don't care. Still hitting still hitting the... Unlimited ammo. Still Might as well shoot. blow it. Yeah, unlimited yeah, ammo. Just, just going to keep going. Sky. There's not innocent civilians on the ground. Who cares? I think I had a bit of that, too, because I, I'd, I'd watch you play and, and it was, you know, left. Why isn't it going left? Why am I stalling? And then I'd watch Chris playing and it was like, ah, oh, my air combat maneuverability theory is going out the window. Where's the energy <laughs> management here? And I'm sitting there going, these are very different conversations. <laughs> I but, wanted to go left, but I'm upside down. What happened? But 
what other game allows you to have those conversations and still have this much fun. That is true. That's so true. And it was still, again, it was a lot more fun than I thought it would be, despite 100% I knew I was going to be terrible. No doubt about that. But it was still a lot of fun. And that's, I think that's really important in games that maybe nowadays isn't as appreciated as much is that like a game can be difficult at times, but you still want to have fun with it. There is hard, there's difficulties that are fun to deal with and there are difficulties that just are frustrating and make you rage quit and you never want to touch a game again. This is a game because it gave you these options that it was never going to be that. It was like, if you want to just have fun and relax, we have ways of doing that. And you might not know what you're doing, but you'll get the mission done. You'll get the happy, like, Chuck Yeager, like, good job. And then, and that's kind of nice. You know, you didn't have to land if you didn't want. <laughs> I mean, like, or if, that's what, or if you couldn't. I landed. I just landed in the grass 90% of the time. Straight down. <laughs> <laughs> I think I remember ejecting a lot as a kid because I thought that was more fun. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure I did the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that was a really cool moment when I noticed one of the. Uh, enemy pilots that I actually uh, knocked out of the sky, I saw him ejected. I saw a little parachute coming to the ground. I was like, hey, that's kind of cool that they actually thought and added that. Okay, let's talk about how the game actually played, what you did, and all those details. So first of all, there's three main campaigns, I suppose, that you can play through, Mm -hmm. which are, Chris? It is World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. So this is, in theory, when Chuck Yeager was... A pilot, he only flew in World War Two, but yes, there is, uh, what, maybe over a dozen missions per era, I think. Yeah, and, and you play on, on both sides on of both the war. On both sides, so like, you know, World War Two, you play as the Germans and the Allies, Korea, you play as as both, and, and same with Vietnam, so you kind of got to play with uh, different aircraft on either side. And sometimes we'd actually do the same mission, essentially, on both sides, which was kind of interesting as well. Back to back or similar enough missions. Yeah, similar profile type missions. And yeah, they had lots of stuff that would vary. Like there was like fighter sweep type stuff. There was defend bombers, you know, intercept bombers. So it was it was kind of neat on the the mission variety. There was taking out things on the ground, which was difficult for me because that meant I had to find things on the ground. Yes. And and each mission kind of had a historical context to it. And it was it was really neat to see at least the World War II stuff, you know, seeing names that Katie could not pronounce, like Schweinfurt or... I know, I got Schweinfurt. I got Schweinfurt, but I struggled with Luftwaffe. <laughs> <laughs> Literally the word, the German word that came up the most. <laughs> the Luftwaffe. Luftwaffe. What? Uh, Luftwaffe. I cannot say it's that. It's still I called can't. that to this it's day. It's a waffle, and I'm going. I'm sticking with Luftwaffe. <laughs> the number of times on stream where you're like Luft, Luft, Luftwaffe. Luft. But yeah, no, and then that was a really cool thing, as I mentioned, that they they gave historical context. Like he would, the intro to the mission, as well as the, when you accomplish the mission, they would explain what you're doing, and then the historical, of like, this is what happened in the real fight and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. which is uh, really cool. I will say they did a discredit to Chuck Yeager, in my opinion. They put old Chuck Yeager in the game. And I was like, why wouldn't they put him when he was at that age flying? But, you know, whatever. They put old Chuck Yeager there. So you go through, uh, again, there were different modes. There was easy, normal, and hard mode. And you can actually toggle a lot of different features. So like, for example, as I said, I played on easy mode. So I was invincible, had unlimited ammo. I couldn't crash, period. It would auto like land for me. But you could also toggle some of those on and off. You could say, I'm not invincible, but I have unlimited ammo. Or I have 
like landing assistance or something, right? Well, it's just you you can't crash. You just all of a sudden are level and going forward again. I thought that was actually really interesting because it kind of added pilot aid type stuff like easy aim, unlimited ammo, invincible. You could toggle any of those at any time. And there were so many different options where it kind of gave you a nice range to be able to figure out where you were most comfortable. I started with with absolutely everything on just to just because I knew I was going to have that new game itis where it was. I, I think I even had to ask you, Chris, I was like, Chris, how? How do you change weapons? <laughs> right, because <laughs> I feel like I've pressed every key on the keyboard at this point. And I haven't found it, and that was something I was going to say about controls: is that playing on a keyboard is a lot harder than I remember, especially because I'm used to that hands-on throttle and stick, and you just reach out mm. and click something. Now all of a sudden, I'm like, look, L, you know, yeah. for landing gear and things like that. So I had everything on at the beginning, and then I, I started cycling a few things off. I think the first thing I took off was unlimited ammo and I thought to myself okay I want to get my aim a little bit better and then I took some damage off just to make sure that okay when I'm getting hit it's it's registering and so on I think I yeah I I pretty much had everything on to start with a couple missions and then I think I took off invincible first just to kind of get that going and then easy land I took off and then the unlimited ammo I kept the easy aim on for a little bit and that makes such a big difference. It was so weird. Like, I took that off and went back. And just that very first mission is so hard. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, chalk it up to the realism of this game. But, like, you know, trying to shoot an aircraft going at 200 miles an hour that's, you know, a mile away is not the easiest thing <laughs> in the world to do. Shocked. I know. Shocked that's hard to do in real life. And that first mission, it starts you out where you're you're in a P-51 and you're fighting two 109s with two sets of two Falk Wolves behind it. So if you don't do the first part of that mission really well, you're just like hosed because all of a sudden you're surrounded by another, you know, four aircraft in the next five minutes if you can't manage any of that really well. But I, I think I, I ended up playing a lot without any of the cheats on it was it was rough like the easy aiming i think was the the biggest one for me at least i i will say when it comes to the graphics i find it really interesting because i was watching your gameplay chris when you had invincibility off that you actually saw damage to the cockpit at one point which was kind of cool and i was like wow it actually acknowledges that like i think there was like a bullet hole randomly in the glass or something dramatic like that but the point is it did acknowledge when you got hit and it didn't when you were invincible which is kind of cool well and it did that and then it actually did like not only damage but it was like you know your elevators are damaged or your ailerons are damaged so your roll rate is cut in half your climb is cut in half you know your engine could be damaged they had really, really specific ones, too. It's like your oil lines have been hit, which essentially means you're going to lose oil. And then like five minutes after that, your engine's going to catch on fire and explode. So like a lot of depth for that. And that's not even going into the actual physics of this game, the depth that's involved there. And it had an envelope window, which I thought was so cool in such a silly, nerdy way. And I did not understand at all as a kid. And now I'm just like, this yeah. is the best feature ever. Uh, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly with you. It's like, you saw that when you were a kid. You're like, okay, fine. There's weird, like, three colors that kind of move around. And now you're like, oh, my God, that's so amazing. Oh, like, I was definitely at the age when I was a kid, though. And I, I, it was like, envelope. I'm not a male plane. This is weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, none of us know what you're talking about here. Yeah. I was about to be like, no, we don't know. That's, 
Yeah, it's so that's <laughs> this. It's it's where you are in the air and how fast you're going and what G's you're pulling, how your aircraft is going to perform based on all of that. It kind of gives you it's a very, very concise way to say, all right, here's where I am in the flight regime. Here's how I'm going to fly. And that changes, you know, based on altitude, airspeed, all that fun stuff. Very basically, it's just a graphic that pops up and it shows you your limits. And if the huh. if the ball goes too far one way or the other way, either up or down or left or right, then bad things start to happen. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Never to you, Katie, because you are invincible. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't pop up for me. That's fair. fair no, enough. but this is great. Absolutely. I mean, the uh, the the options of what to turn on and what to turn off, the fact that you call those cheats definitely speaks to how you feel about them. <laughs> I just don't know how else to call them. To be, I mean, invincibility is a cheat. Let's not yeah, lie to ourselves. Yeah, that, that's a cheat for sure. You know, it's... Uh, we call it's, them pilot relief modes. Pilot aids. <laughs> it absolutely does add realism to it. And you mm-hmm. had mentioned the fact that, you know, it became so hard to shoot down another airplane. And I think everybody has this kind of way of looking at the past and looking at pilots back during those wars and being like, oh, everybody who flew an airplane back in World War II was an ace and shot down, you know, probably seven or 10 airplanes. Most pilots would go their whole careers without maybe even seeing another airplane, let alone shooting one down. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. And in fairness to you, we, we kind of already brought this up in the trope of the day stuff, but it is kind of validating to hear it from someone else that that's absolutely a thing. It's funny you say that too, because again, because I really only think of things in video game terms when we were, when I was playing through and I was like, I didn't get mission accomplished yet. I've only knocked down two planes. And Chris is like, no, 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 that's exactly it. You have, because most pilots don't do more than that. Like, let alone what, like, and that is exactly it. In my video gamer brain, I'm like, I have to get rid of everyone, clear the field by myself. And it's like in real life. No, just yep. no. <laughs> this this game was so realistic with those terms. Like it's, you know, it was yeah. What what can one pilot be expected to do? Here's what your goals are, mm-hmm. and and like what can one pilot expect to do with a given aircraft? For all of us, it's like one of the first true flight sims that we played, and the physics are probably one of the most realistic physics type flight sims that was around for a long time. Until you got into like the Microsoft Flight Sim or like the what's the one on Steam right now, like DCS, all those ones and X Plane and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Rise of Flight and and a lot of them. I think that the only game that came close to this in terms of physics before it would have been something like Red Baron, you know, where mm. you're flying World War One biplanes. And even that right. one do- didn't quite come close to it as far as the physics go. But, you know, if you don't have enough power on in this airplane and your nose is up, you're going to fall out of the sky. And that's just what airplanes do. Or even if you have enough power and you're dumb and go straight up, you're going to stall. <laughs> Absolutely. The number of times you're like, why am I stalling? I was like, because you're pointed straight up. And it's like, but I'm going fast. And I was like, well, you're not going to be going fast if you keep pointing your nose straight up. Don't understand. What? <laughs> Why, why can't I go at the same speed as I always go against gravity? This makes no sense. Yes. I will say uh, there was no rudder pedal anything in this game. Like, I looked in that. It's like, well, I don't have... And that's probably because that was not a an extra... You know, all the joysticks or whatever had two axis. So adding that third one was just not anything that that mattered. Which is not a small thing, especially with those old aircraft. But I still felt it, it, it handled 
pretty well, even ignoring things like coordinated turns and stuff like that. I don't know what two axis versus three axis means, no. Oh, God. <laughs> Wait, like in life, you don't know what two axis versus three axis is? So when your nose is going up and your nose is going down, you're talking about one axis, that's the, your pitch axis? Yeah, that makes sense. Pitch, pitch I did know. Pitch I knew. Yeah. So then you've got roll axis, which is like, you know, barrel rolling, okay. rolling downhill uh, on your sense. side. And then the final one is the yaw axis of going left and right. So that's if you're the turning, if you're, if you're turning a car, that's your yaw thing. axis. Yeah. When you walk down the sidewalk and you turn a corner, you're turning around your yaw axis. And it's not a word. <laughs> yeah. And, and you were even talking about the fact that, you know, mm -hmm. in a flight sim, you're absolutely right. You don't turn like you're in a car. You know, yeah. you're, you're, you, don't, you don't watch the horizon just, you know, spin past you. You have to bank into it. And um, and Chris is absolutely right that at this time, you know, the idea of a three axis joystick was was a fairly new thing. I remember the first three axis joystick that I ever saw or played with. And I mean, I'll, I'll admit this. I, I hate three axis uh, flight <laughs> sims. I, I hate it when I sit in a flight simulator and and all of a sudden I've got to start managing. Yeah, because that's when really detailed really detailed cockpits, mm. really detailed exterior features. That's when all that starts mattering. And also it just starts feeling like work, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, that's that's one piece of realism that I will absolutely throw out the door is, is yaw, because it's just pesky. Fair enough. <laughs> you know, I think we've talked about the graphics already and whether they lived up or not and how they've kind of lasted. The last thing I want to talk about is the sounds. The oh, sounds were the bad. the sounds of this game. <laughs> I think I remember the first time when I, I finished all of the World War II stuff and went up to Korea and hopped in an F-86 for the first time and the jet noise in this game. Katie, I think you were like, what is that noise? It's like, it's the engine noise. Enjoy. Whee! <laughs> I was listening with headphones in, so it was particularly loud. So suddenly, because I, I, I kind of had it on background and I just hear, yeah, Chris is like, and we're going to start and go, Whee! <laughs> it's kind of like somebody trying to recreate in eight bits what they remember it sounding like <laughs> so it's it is definitely very interesting yeah it, it is it was definitely some interesting. and the, the noise of the stall i'm assuming yeah i'm assuming the stall noise as i think i said in the rose segment is supposed to be the the buffeting that you would experience as you're stalling. That's the only thing that I could guess. Again, coming as not an actual pilot. There's one of three things that'll happen when you hit the stall. You'll absolutely get the buffet and it'll it'll start to shake the aircraft a little bit. It's the larger the aircraft, the less noticeable that is. Mm -hmm. I don't know actually what the warning system is in something like an F4 or a, a P-51 or something like that, but there there is going to be either a an audible alert, there's going to be something that's going to come on and it's going to squawk in your ear, or there's going to be a, a, a shaker that's going to come on. And, and they were definitely trying to recreate that and give you a sense mm -hmm. of urgency of, hey, wake up and, and do something now. I hmm. mean, like even modern aircraft, as as you were saying, it's mostly either like yeah, pedal shakers or stick shakers or or yeah. maybe like a high pitched tone. Mm -hmm. But it was weird. In this game, it was just like this weird growl thing whenever you stalled. So yeah, so yeah, there wasn't much. And it's funny because I actually tried turning the engine noise off, but I think I used that as because I was changing throttle setting a lot, and you know when you run out of power. 
run out of speed, which was absolutely a huge thing. Like the energy management in this game, you wanted to be able to hear the engine noise, especially kind of that's what I'm used to with with the the background that I have in in not real flying uh, is listening to engine noise to be able to tell what's happening. So if you turn off mm-hmm. engine noise, it just felt really really weird. So. This is the final score time. This is when we compare what we rose-tinted scores versus the reality of playing it in this day and age as adults, knowing that there are other flight simulators out there. What are some final scores? So we'll start with Chris. What is your final score replaying the game? What would you give it? Yeah, so this is a little bit different because I always say that I try to grade these games compared to modern games now. You never do, though. Let's not lie. I know. I'm really bad at that. But honestly, this game held up really well other than the sound, just because the sound was so grating. And the graphics, which didn't honestly bother me that much, like, I can I can appreciate the game even if it has bad graphics. But, like, the physics of this game and, like, the, the meat of this game, the, the levels, how everything was set up, all of the difficulty choices you could have... It, I really feel like it still holds up as a pretty decent flight simulator. Like, I go like an eight and a half, as crazy as that sounds. It's the back end of the physics of this game, and just playing this game were so much fun. I could get over the graphics because I have not had this sort of experience with a flight sim. Like, even the pretty ones just can't match up. Fair enough. Uh, Katie, how about you? You you did not really have much of a rose. I think you were incomplete. You gave a NA for rose on this one. I, going back and playing it, it it was it was fun. I will admit it was fun. I was once I figured out what I was doing, it was surprisingly easier than I thought it was going to be because it took a while to figure out what all the the what I had to do and figuring out that I can't just turn like in a car because then the whole plane starts spinning and that's very confusing at times. But once I got most of that down, it was, no, it was, it was actually a lot of fun. It wasn't bad. I played an easy mode, which meant I was invincible, had unlimited ammo, super cheaty, but that's okay. And I think it's great that a game has that available because I can imagine as a kid, especially learning to play it. But even then it lets you just enjoy it for a little. You're not stressed. You're not like getting super frustrated all the time. So I can really appreciate that. I loved the little history lessons that came along with each part because as I'm not a airspace history buff I didn't know a lot of those things so it was really cool reading about that and I think it was a great way to build a game that doesn't have plot necessarily but just was like building into it so I had a lot more fun than I thought I was going to have however I will say I I still didn't desperately want to keep playing just because it's, it's not my style of game and that's purely what it is so I actually am going to give it a 7 out of 10, so a bit higher than I, w- I, I predicted. I, I only predicted a 6, so it is a higher than expected, but still not great. But that's, again, I think more of a preference for me than a critique of the game. So to wrap things up, Brian, what are your thoughts? What is your final score on Chuck Yeager? I, I think I have to agree with you on the... It's it's somewhere... I, I'm going to give it a 7.5. It's a game that... Uh, you touched on a lot of the the points that I would have covered as well. Things that detract it from being a 10, things that I would want to see improved. Sound is definitely one of them. The sounds on this game are 
working on the idea that you have a mono speaker that's just pitter-pattering at you like crazy and it can't keep up. And the graphics could definitely use some improvement as much as I don't think that they hurt the game as much. It's definitely, if you were to compare it to a modern game, the graphics could definitely be improved. Even those cockpit interiors that we talked about enjoying so much, you know, to have nice, smooth, high-resolution images now with actual animation rather than just flipping from one to the next would add so much. But there's still a lot of greatness in this game. It's one of the few flight simulators where you're going to fly a range of aircraft from piston engine fighters in World War II through early jets to modern jets. It does carry a historic mission profile. You play as both sides of the campaign as you go along. It has a lot of really good stuff. And, and uh, Katie, you touched on the fact that it's very accessible, which is absolutely true. You can turn on invincibility. If you want to make sure that the bad guys don't get you, you can go out and you can just be challenged by the fact that maybe you're not as proficient in, in flying an aircraft or, or the idea of it. And, and, and that's okay. Like being challenged is, is a good thing. This is a game that has a, a really broad range. And I think that's something that when I look at it now, I appreciate and, and I go back to. And I think that when I compare it to modern flight sims, I think one of the reasons why I got out of flight sims is because I'm always comparing them to this. And I'll go, yeah, it's pretty, but it doesn't have that Chuck Yeager air combat feel to it that I remember from when I was a kid. Cool. And I did want to ask Katie, just because you have a unique perspective on this, what was your experience since you watched Chris playing it as a kid? What's your rating of watching Chris on it as an adult now? <laughs> <laughs> that is a great question. I really enjoyed watching him play because it did feel more cinematic-ish as a kid because that was the line of graphics we were looking at back then. That's what you expected. It looked really cool. And I can't believe they're having this much in the cockpit looks so amazing and stuff like that. So as an adult, I know that like, yeah, that's when graphics really come into play a lot more often when you're just watching. But, you know, I, I still enjoy it because, you know, when Chris and I watch each other play, especially when I watch him play, a lot of it is just, you know, kind of poking and harassing each other. So watching him play again was a lot of fun and I got to poke fun at him and be like, why aren't you going faster? Which I know I did as a kid because I was that child who'd be like, go faster. <laughs> and he's like, the plane doesn't go faster. I don't understand. Just go faster. So it, it was still a lot of fun to uh, watch that happen. But yeah, I think a little bit does pull off just because it the graphics don't live up in this day and age as they did when I was younger. We talked about the game. We've talked about how we felt about the game and our opinions on it. I think, Brian, you said it. I think Chris would 100% agree that a remake, if possible, should happen because I think you both would love to play a modernized version of this game, though you love the original, to be fair. I mean, yes, I would love a remake with better graphics is the easy answer, but I think the physics are good enough where I could just go back and play it and... Actually, I don't even want new graphics. I just want better noise. I want better sounds. <laughs> no, better graphics would Wild. be amazing. There is a, a hole in modern video games right now with, with good golden age of flight flight simulators. I have not found a good one in a very, very long time. And I think I said the same thing is, is I keep trying to find a flight sim that I'd enjoy playing. Mm -hmm. And I keep comparing it to this game and I just haven't found a better game yeah. for for what I'm after. So am I absolutely happy playing this game today? I, I am. Do I want the better graphics and the sound and, and maybe a handful of extra missions since, you know, we can make games in the gigabytes instead of in the megabytes now? Right. Absolutely. You know, that's that's the reason to, to go back to it. I don't want to see it changed. I want to see it 
reskinned, freshened right. up, and then and then expanded on a little bit. So I think then final verdict, it sounds like for both you all is if you have the opportunity, which pretty much every everyone has the opportunity to go back and play Chuck Yeager at this point. If you like to fly, if you like the flying games, go back and play it. Even if you don't, it's worth it's worth playing through at least once, I would say. I, I enjoyed it well enough to it was worth trying. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think that is the final conclusion that play it. It's fun. It lives up. Agreed. So that wraps up this part. Honestly, it was great having you with us, Brian. Thank you so much. Yeah. I kind of want to reiterate, A, this was awesome. You did this really last minute. B, how we got to know you and what you're doing on your channel. I know Chris and I and the producers were regular visitors to your channel. So let's give you a little time and talk about your Twitch channel, Gaming at the Edge of the World. Well, thank you for having me on. So I'm hosting a Twitch channel called Gaming at the Edge of the World, and it's my chance to show off my game collection. I've got a lot of original Nintendo games, a lot of Super Nintendo games. We are playing a variety of everything with a lot of focus on old school RPGs on the Super Nintendo. We've done Final Fantasy, which was what we talked about uh, meeting over. We've done Super Mario RPG and Final Fantasy 2. Looking forward to doing games like Chrono Trigger in the near future. I'm also doing a lot of Super Mario World right now and a lot of user requests as well. You know, a lot of games that in the way that you're looking back at games from your own past, people can give a shout out and say, I remember playing, you know, such and such a game in the past, and I'd love to watch you play it and get your thoughts on it. And honestly, it's it's actually was a really fascinating for Chris and I to both watch you play Super Mario RPG, which we played a lot as kids and then played again. And watching your first playthrough of it was really a lot of fun, actually. And it was a cool way to re-experience the game. So interesting, yeah. It also took lots of restraint because I was literally screaming at the screen a couple times. Not anything bad, but it's just like, oh no, oh no, you have no idea what's coming. <laughs> but that's, that is the great thing about the channel. It's a really casual, fun, good conversation happens in the chat and on the channel. Because I think that is a big part of your channel is, is getting a community together mm. and, and people who just want to talk and enjoy playing games. And that's a lot of fun. It really is. I enjoy relaxing over a nice video game at the end of the day. And I want other people to show up and share that with us. So the community is very, very open and inviting. And it's just a great place to show up and say, hey, I like games too. So again, that is Gaming at the Edge of the World on Twitch. Check out his streams. Give him a follow. It's a lot of fun. You'll definitely see Chris and I in the chat and produ the producers as well. We appear when we have chances. So we definitely love watching and chatting ourselves. It's a, a lot of fun. So if you guys have a chance, you should check that as well. Thank you again for, for dropping it on this. It's It's been super fun, super cool. Not just because it it made this slightly a two-way conversation instead of <laughs> me just talking at katie this entire time so yeah, it would have been a very much more boring episode <laughs> if it was just me <laughs> well it's it's been a great experience for me to talk about a game i like with a couple of people that i like so oh. it's been a great great thing for me to do as well so i think that about wraps this episode up Thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking around for a slightly longer episode. Thanks for letting me nerd out about a subject that I absolutely adore. Yeah. So 
what is our next episode, Katie? I think we talked about this before because yeah. it was, you know, supposed to be this episode. It's something you already know. It's going to be Soul Calibur 2. Uh, so we will actually be covering it next episode. Uh, apologies for putting it off, but it just felt like the right thing to do in this moment. We will note it is the holiday time and we hope everyone is enjoying their holidays the best they can in these current circumstances. That does mean we are going to be taking off an episode. So there won't be an episode on the 28th. We might put out something special in the meantime, but it won't be a new episode. So the Soul Calibur 2 episode will be coming out January 12th. So we're just going to be taking a little break. We hope everyone enjoys their holidays. Some holidays have already started. So we hope everyone is just having a little bit break for themselves. I know we kind of need one. And by that, I mean, we've got a whole lot of video games to play before we start recording again. <laughs> we, we have a backlog that we are excited to get through. As always, join us on our Twitch. Uh, we are over at GWGW Show. We You will see all the games we are prepping on for the next couple of the ep episodes. So you'll see we've already done quite a bit of Soul Calibur on there, but we'll have a couple other games that I won't spoil now. Uh, but if you go to our Twitch, you will see what's coming up down the line. We are also on all other social media. If there are games that you would like us to cover, feel free to recommend them. We'll definitely take a look at it. We are happy to pivot. We have a big list that we're looking at, but we also would love people's inputs of games maybe we forgot about or games maybe it's worth exploring. So let us know. And who knows, you might end up on a future episode. Right? Otherwise, thanks for another great episode to our producers. And... Again, huge thanks to Gaming at the Edge of the World for hopping on super last minute. I think uh, we had a lot of fun talking with him. Check him out on Twitch as well. So he's at Gaming at the Edge of the World. We are obviously again at GWGW Show. And we'll uh, see you guys online and for the next episode. Otherwise, happy holidays. Happy New Year. Let's wrap this up. Say goodbye, Katie. Goodbye, Katie. Goodbye, everyone. Bravo, Zulu. Come on, dishonor on you, dishonor on your cow.